Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Julia. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. So, um, so Julia, you, it's, a, it's a you topic today. It is. So what is your topic today? It's about time. Okay. Uh, okay. So what's it about, though? Uh, it's about time. It's about time. Okay. Wait, no. Jewel. <laughs> this is a who's on first situation, I feel. So it's about like, like time. time. It's about, oh, it's about time. time. Okay. The title is It's About Time. Oh, okay. That's good. Like who's on first? Yes. What's uh, on second? So um, as we recently uh, um, experienced the end of daylight saving mm. time Saddest. and that everybody every time this happens people are like oh my gosh my now my children wake up and it's dark out and I I've have to explain things and I'm so confused and ah. um, there's a lot that goes into humans deciding what time is so uh, cool. that's what I'm talking about today it's about time All right, so we got to start with some basic terminology. Is this going to blow my mind, Julia? <sighs> well, okay. Time is a is it's a, a construct. construct. <laughs> so first, we're starting out with time zones. Oh, okay, cool. So a, t- a time zone. Mm-hmm. It is a region of the globe that observes a uniform standard time for legal, commercial, and social purposes. Sure. So time zones actually tend to follow the boundaries of countries and their subdivisions since it is convenient for areas in close commercial or other communication to keep the same line, to keep in the same time zone. Makes sense. So um, other things you should know right now are meridians are longitude lines. Okay. And parallels are latitude lines. Okay. So I'm going to talk a lot about meridians here with time zones. Okay. Um, so if each time zone were one hour apart, there would just be 24 time zones in the world. And that would be convenient. Yes. However, the actual borders on the time zone map have actually been drawn up to match up with both internal and international borders. And they rarely match up exactly with 15 degree longitudes. So, um, and then there's also the international date line, which I'll mm. talk about in a second. Um, so there are, there are too many time zones to count is basically Wait, what I, I couldn't find a list of time zones because are you serious? in theory you would have 24 because yeah. of the parallels and the number of hours in the sure. day um, and where the international date line is. But like every country has its own or more than one and some places are half an hour ahead of things and other things are 45 minutes of things. Are you serious? We'll talk about some of oh those. Oh my gosh. So I, guys, sorry, I can't tell you how many time zones there are. I really Damn. tried. You okay. know what? I believe you. <laughs> I believe you. So when we're establishing time, Okay. okay, we're going to talk about, so we have time zones. We're going to talk about the first like establishment, Greenwich Mean Time. Okay. Also abbreviated GMT, okay. which you might see a lot when you're reading about this kind of stuff. Sure. So Greenwich Mean Time was established in 1675 when the Royal Observatory was built as an aid to mariners to determine longitude at sea. So this provided a standard reference time while in each city... Um, and um, England tended to keep a different local time, like at each place that it had. Oh. So in order to kind of standardize things. So zero degrees longitude is Greenwich, England, Greenwich Mean Time at okay. the Royal Observatory. 
So Scottish-born Canadian Sir Sandford Fleming proposed a worldwide system of time zones in 1879. So he advocated his system at several international conferences and is credited with the instigation of the initial effort that led to the adoption of the present time meridians. Mm. In 1876, his first proposal was for a global 24-hour clock, which was conceptually located at the center of the earth and not linked to any surface meridian. Center of the earth? Yeah, you know. (laughs) They haven't even gotten there. Like, we haven't even gotten there yet. Yeah, you know. And now he's proposing there's a clock there. But he refined his his oh, okay. thing sure, uh, sure. his proposal you know by three years later in 1879 he specified that his universal day would begin at the anti-meridian of Greenwich so that means the 180th meridian on the other side of the globe oh, okay uh, while conceding that hourly time zones might have some limited local use so he was like yeah we should have this, these zones but like maybe just having 24 won't necessarily work because of local time okay so he proposed a system at the International Meridian Conference in October 1884. This is like time people know con. all about this conference. This was the conference. It's the time con. The time con. Time con. <laughs> time con. I'm getting ready for time con. Hey. I'm this dressing year- as 3 o'clock p.m. <laughs> bam, bam. I'm going to be the 70th Meridian. <laughs> <laughs> so um, at this conference in 1884, um, he proposed it there, but they did not adopt his time zones because they weren't within its purview. So I don't know what they were doing at the Meridian Conference if They're they doing weren't anything. doing things with the with the time zones. But um, the conference did adopt a universal day of 24 hours beginning at Greenwich midnight, but specified that it shall not interfere with the use of local or standard time where desirable. So like we're in the end of the 19th century and people don't know what time it is. That's crazy. Like you were dealing off like sundials and stuff. Sure. But like... You would look outside and be like, okay, well, the sun is in that direction now. Maybe it's four o'clock. So wait, wait, you said the 19th century? This is the end of the 19th century. Okay, so the end of the the 19th century. Yeah. Moving into the 20th century. Yes. We had clocks. There were clocks. We had clocks, but... uh, Oh my God. There was no standard. Yeah. By which to... Yes, adhere to. Oh, okay. Or like if you were traveling, forget it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's like mind-blowing. Yes. So luckily, by about 1900, almost all of time on Earth had a form of a standard time zone. Okay. Only some of which use an hourly offset from Greenwich Mean Time. So many of these places applied the time at a local astronomical observatory to an entire country without any reference to Greenwich Mean Time. Okay. Um, So it took many decades before all the time on Earth was in the form of time zones, referred to some as the, referred to some standard offset from Greenwich Mean Time. And by 1929, most major countries had adopted hourly time zones. Uh, in 1986, Nepal was actually the last country to adopt a standard offset, shifting slightly to UTC plus 545. UTC, you ask? What yes. is that? So uh, in 1972, after the development of super accurate atomic clocks, yes. coordinated universal time, also called UTC. So it's not CUT, it's UTC. Coordinated universal time. This was established, 1972. It is calculated using a weighted average of signals from atomic clocks located in various national laboratories around the world with leap seconds added at irregular intervals to compensate for the oddities of the Earth's movement. And we'll I, talk about those I, a little like, later. I can't. Like, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> mm, I'm so very I'm this is a very thrilling topic this is cerebral you guys yeah I'm losing it right now so uh the U.S. Naval Observatory has a timepiece regulated by the natural vibration frequencies of cesium particles what 
um, the National Institute of Standards and Technology in Boulder, Colorado. So UTC is synonymous with GMT. So you'll, okay. you might see UCT and Greenwich Mean Time used interchangeably in common or casual use, but GMT isn't so precisely defined by the scientific community and it is not used in technical context. Oh, really? So especially in like... Um, uh, with computers and stuff like that, you know, when people mm-hmm. are encoding things, you see emails with date timestamps on yeah. them. Um, they'll be in UTC. Okay. All so, right. That's interesting. Yes. So UTC, you also ask. Yes. Uh, what does that refer to? Well, Lauren, it's the international <laughs> dateline. So I'm so glad you are both asking <laughs> and answering these this questions. This is a really like low key up for you. <laughs> yeah. I just go, mm, mm. ooh, what? Get out of here. So the International Dateline is an imaginary line of navigation on the surface of the earth that runs from the North Pole to the South Pole and demarcates the change of one calendar day to the next. It passes mostly through the middle of the Pacific Ocean, roughly following the 180 degree line of longitude, but deviates to pass around some territories and island groups. So it is not a straight line from the North Pole to the South Pole. So it kind of like buns It's a little, it's a little jaggy. Okay. So according to the clock, the first areas to experience a new day and a new year are islands that use UTC plus 14. Okay. Um, So these include portions of the Republic of Kiribati, including Millennium Island in the Line Islands, as well as Samoa during the Southern Summer. And the first major cities to experience a new day are Auckland and Wellington, New Zealand, which are UTC plus 12 and UTC plus 13 with daylight saving time. So this is all in the South Pacific. These are the the islands and the countries that will... Experience a new day day first. Okay. Um, I got to tell you about the Diomede Islands. Oh, my goodness. So they're located in the middle of the Bering Strait between mainland Alaska and Siberia. Okay. So um, they border the Chuchki Sea to the north and the Bering Sea to the south. They are separated by the International Dateline. Big Diomede Island is 21 hours ahead of Little Diomede Island. What? Big Diomede Island is part of Russia. Little Diomede Island is part of the U.S. So... Because of this, the islands are sometimes called Tomorrow Island. So Big Diomede is oh sometimes called gosh. Tomorrow Island. And Little Diomede is sometimes called Yesterday Isle. So Big Diomede Island is the is the easternmost point of Russia. It is okay. just 2.2 miles away from Little Diomede Island, which is part of the U.S. So unlike its larger Russian neighbor, Little Diomede has a permanent native population. Um, and as of the 2010 census, Little Diomede Island has a population of 110 so that's a, that's the international dateline just like jags right down the middle them. in between these two islands. So, so it's so it's yesterday on Big Diomede, <laughs> and it's the next day on Little Diomede, yeah. or vice versa. Yeah. So yeah, they call Big Diomede Tomorrow Island. Oh my! So gosh. like they can look over there and like know that Big Diomede is already like a whole day ahead. So of So you could say, I know for a fact <laughs> that the sun will rise tomorrow. <laughs> Because I can see I Little seen. Diomede Island yes. or Big Diomede Island. <laughs> that's yeah. that blows. It's really interesting. That's so crazy. I had no idea. That's so weird. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah, they're they're the same island chain, but um, Russia has one of the big ones, and America has the other one. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so all nations unilaterally determine their standard time zones, which is applicable only on land and adjacent mm. territorial waters. So the state line can be called a de facto line since it is not based on international law, but on national law. Okay. So these national zones do not extend into international waters. And the nautical date line is not the same as the international date line. We oh So it's a de jure construction that is determined by international agreement. Um, it's the result of the 1917 Anglo-French Conference on Timekeeping at Sea. 
and again oh, another gosh. very big conference in the history <laughs> timekeeping con yeah time con uh, timekeeping at sea that year was the theme um, it recommended that all <laughs> ships both military and civilian adopt hourly standard time zones on the high seas so the US adopted its recommendations for US military and merchant marine ships in 1920 so the dateline is implied but not explicitly drawn on time zone maps it does follow the 180 degree meridian except where it is interrupted by territorial waters adjacent to land forming gaps so it's basically like a pole to pole dashed line and ships are supposed to adopt the standard time of a country if they are within its territorial waters within 12 nautical miles actually 12 nautical miles is 14 land miles what yeah so it's ah, ah. <laughs> why why do they get to, why do they not get that two extra miles is it because the water is it because I, of the water Joel? a nautical a nautical mile it's different somehow if Sailors. you're a water person yeah if you're a water person <laughs> a marine biologist or a sailor Please tweet at us and let us know why nautical miles are different than land yeah. miles. Um, so if you are within 12 nautical miles of land, um, then you revert to what time zone it is in that country. Okay. But you got to know what country you're near. Yeah, exactly. Which was a problem early on. Yes, sure. Sure was. Because they did not have Google Maps. No. <laughs> nope. Christopher no, Columbus not. thought he was on a different continent. Yeah. Um, and if you are outside of that 12 miles of nautical, 12 nautical miles, it reverts to international time zones, which are 15 degree wide pole to pole gores as soon as they leave the territorial waters. It's very confusing. So in reality, ships only use these time zones for radio communication. Because if you were a yeah. sailor and you were like, now we're near Greece. Yeah. Now I need to click, click, click the time back. Oh, now we're now we're near Cyprus and they're in a different time zone. Oh my click, God. Click, click. So when was this established? You said the early 20th 1917. Century? So like it seems like that would work in theory like mm-hmm. at time con everyone's like all right we agreed to this sign the this paper mm-hmm. but in in practice it would not be practical because for all intents and purposes until we got like sonar and mm-hmm. like m- big maps and like the whole shebang you would not know where you were exactly or yes. whether you were crossing a time zone or not yeah so it seems to be that that was all well and good at time con you know what happens at time con stays at time con you know what now i really want to go to time con if you are an organizer of time con julie and i would like this would be the 100th anniversary of the (gasps) anglo-french conference on timekeeping at sea you know what here's the thing organizers of time con i'm going to say right now if you want us to perform if you want us to do a live show at time con we'll do it for free (laughs) He, we just need that ticket to France. Yep. Ticket to France. Presumably, since it's, it's the Anglo-French conference. Yeah. And uh, we're going to need a free meal. Yeah. Just one. Yeah. That's all we need. At like a really good restaurant, though. Yeah. Yeah. I want a steak. <laughs> <laughs> I want a steak au poivre. <laughs> that's that's, that's our rider for this, <laughs> for our uh, performance at Time Con. <laughs> oh, man. So we're, so we're on water. We're talking about, you know, water time. Now, we got <laughs> railway time. Oh, come so, on. So... Railway time was the standardized time arrangement first applied by the Great Western Railway in England in November 1840. So this was the first recorded occasion when different local times were synchronized and a single standard time was applied. So railway time was actually progressively taken up by all railway companies in Great Britain over the following two or three years. So the schedules by which trains were organized and the time station clocks displayed were brought in line with the local time for London or what they called London time, Mm. which was the time set at Greenwich by the Royal Observatory, which was already that at that point known as Greenwich Mean Time. 
Mm -hmm. So the key goals behind introducing railway time were to overcome the confusion caused by having non-uniform local times in each town and station stop along the expanding railway network and to reduce the incidence of accidents and near misses, (gasps) which were becoming more frequent as the number of train journeys increased. Oh my God. See, I was thinking like, well, yeah, of course, because people want to be at the train station at the right Mm -hmm. time or like when it arrives or leaves. But also like the number of things that were happening and, you know. We had Charles Dickens and his train derailment. Oh, yeah. And, and all that stuff because, you know, the timing was off. Oh so um, the railway companies sometimes face concerted resistance from local people who refuse to adjust their public clocks to bring them in t- into line with this London railway Which time. Which just goes to show that people hate change. Like, as a yeah. species, we hate change. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what a clock? No. <laughs> it is 2.15 here, sir. And if it is, and I will... Go to my grave saying it's 2.15, sir. <laughs> I will fight you. dare you. <laughs> oh, wait. So as, as a result of like the resistance they faced, two different times would de- be displayed in the town and oh, in geez. use with the station clocks and the times published in train timetables differing by several minutes from that on other clocks. But despite this early reluctance, railway time rapidly became adopted as the default time across the whole of Great Britain, although it took until 1880 for the government to legislate on the establishment of a single standard time and a single time zone for the country. So even in all of England, like people in towns that weren't London were like, nope, it's a different time here than it than it is in what? London. Yeah. So, I mean, as you know, we, we always talk about it, let us speak like teeny tiny. It's we, but, um, but yeah, it's all in one time zone. Yeah. Now, which makes perfect sense. No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Cause it's not that far. It takes you like from London to Scotland is like a six hour drive. If That's that. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like a drive from here to New York city. Like you can't yeah, do really, that in a day. It's fun to think about like whenever like foreign exchange students come over here and they hear they're in, you know, they're, they're in um, Western New York. They're like, yeah. great, I could go to Broadway plays. And then you're like, oh, no. I'm sorry. Poor honey, no. That's going to be a 400-mile trip for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could get there. Yeah. Just not quickly. Conveniently. Or conveniently. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, so if we're talking about the U.S., mm. do you have a guess of how many time zones there are in the U.S.? I'm going to say four. There are nine. <gasps> what? Yeah. There are nine? Yeah. I'm going to tell you about them. Please tell me about so, them. So the Atlantic Standard Time Zone is okay. Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Okay. Then in the continuous United States, we have the Eastern Standard Time Zone. That's us. Central Standard Time Zone. Sure. Mountain Standard Time Zone. Mountain, yep. And Pacific Standard Time Zone. That's what Great. I was thinking. I don't even need to tell you about them. No, mostly. I know them very well. Yes. Uh, we also have the Alaska Standard Time Zone. Mm, I forgot so about that's them. that's its own thing. And then the Hawaiian Aleutian Standard Time Zone. So that is both the Hawaiian Islands and the Aleutian Islands off of the coast of Alaska. Okay, so that's, I think that's seven that you now just Now we're mentioned. at seven. All right. Okay. There's now two we more. got the Samoa Standard Time Zone. I forgot about That's American, American Samoa. Samoa. Mm-hmm. Damn. And then this last one. Uh oh. The Chamorro Time Zone. No, that's not a real thing. That is Guam and the Northern Mariana Damn Islands. Damn it! I forget so about Chamorro Guam. So Chamorro is C H A M O R R O. So there are nine time zones in the United States. See. And now I'm always see, and this is maybe this is just very like xenophobic of me. <laughs> We might leave this in. <laughs> but I always, I frequently forget about Guam and American Samoa. Well, which you is a and shame. Donald Trump. <laughs> I mean, 
It seems like a beautiful place, American Samoa. And oh, sure. god damn, do they make beautiful people. They have some great people. Oh my god. I mean, can we talk about Dwayne They're the Rock so Johnson? Oh. oh. We'll do a whole episode on him. Oh, please. Maybe, he'll, maybe we could get <gasps> him to come in. <laughs> get him to come in. Him and um who's the guy who just um Jason Momoa. Oh. Ooh. Damn. If that if is a Samoa, either of their representatives please, are listening to this episode, please, please get in touch with us at missinfopod.com. I don't even know what I would do. I think I would I think I would revert to my liquid form <laughs> and I would just I would full just Alex Mack. I would just <laughs> I would just be a puddle with two big eyeballs. Are That's you it. holding them? Yes, I'm holding them. I'm holding them like crumb. Yeah. If if either Dwayne the Rock Johnson or Jason Momoa, who congratulations, he just got married to Lisa Bonet. Oh mitzvah. <laughs> Lashana Tova. Um yeah, if any of them want to come to our uh, <laughs> to, to our, my dining room, yeah, come to Julia's dining room and record our podcast with us. They can talk about anything they want, anything, literally they want. anything they want to, and we will put it up unedited. So that's that's something to sweeten the pot, Mister Momoa and Mister The Rock Johnson. <laughs> From your mouth to God's mouth, oh, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. All right, anyway. well, sorry. All right, just, so American time oh, zones. It's warm um, in here. It's warm. Also, <laughs> also, in Antarctica, the U.S. research facility Palmer Station is in UTC minus three, while McMurdo Station and a Mudson Scott South Pole stations use UTC plus twelve in order to coordinate with their main supply base in New Zealand. So ours, so the American research facility mm-hmm. coordinates with American time, but the um, other two main stations coordinate with the New Zealand one. Oh, okay. So the the plus three and the minus mm-hmm. 12 and all this stuff, is this minutes that we're talking about? Like oh, what are sorry, the plus and hours minus? Oh, off hours. of UTC. Okay. So so when you're saying like UTC is like the standard and then when yes. they say plus or minus, that's the number of hours mm-hmm. aside from that. So most okay. of the time you'll see like UTC minus zero three colon zero zero to mm-hmm. denote that it's like UTC minus three hours. Okay. Um, most of the time... They don't need to put the colon zero zero after it. Sure. But there are some time zones that are like 15 minutes or 30 minutes oh, or geez. 45 minutes off of the like the standard because of their location. So um, mm. most of the time you will just hear like plus 12 or UTC oh, okay. plus 11 or something like that. But, okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Great. Okay. Here's some other zany time zone facts. <laughs> Russia has 11 time zones. That's um that's a lot less than I was expecting. Oh, it's a very big country. It is a very big country. Um, it used to just have one. Um, sure, because the but USSR. Then the time zones were defined in 1992 when the nation's territories were being established in mm. the aftermath of the Soviet Union's dissolution. Sure. France has 12 time what? zones. Well, you know what the French? Most of it are overseas <laughs> territories. Oh, okay. So, um, the official time for metropolitan France is set as um, GMT plus one, while the time zones in its international territories fall between UTC minus ten in most regions of French Polynesia mm. to UTC plus twelve in the territories of Wallace and Futuna. So it's like okay, France is France is like one. Sure, of course. But but because it has all these international territories, it actually, France itself covers 12 time zones, which is like kind of okay. crazy to, when you think about it. That's very interesting. China only okay. has one. Yes. I have, productivity. <laughs> <laughs> they're, an, they're an efficient people. Yes. Um, that makes sense because of communism. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, they are the <laughs> largest country in the world to only have one time zone. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, 
August 15th, 2015, a new time zone was created, Pyongyang time, mm. which is set 30 minutes behind South Korea, and only North Korea uses this. Yeah, of course, because they don't want to be anything like no. South Korea. Keep, no, nope. they'll, so they'll go off 30 minutes an hour. behind them Jeez. Yeah, is Pyongyang time. Uh, do you know what the International Space Station uses? Uh, I'm going to say Houston time. They use Greenwich Mean Time. Oh, they use Greenwich yeah. Mean Time? Okay, mm-hmm. that makes more sense. Um, also, so time zone change syndrome or <gasps> desynchronosis, more mm-hmm. commonly known as jet lag, is a physiological condition resulting from alterations to the body's circadian rhythms following rapid long distance transmeridian travel. Sure. So that's only if you travel east to west or west to east do you actually experience this. If you're traveling like long north to south, oh, really? it doesn't necessarily, you don't get you don't get this desynchronosis. Huh, that's very interesting. So like people were giving, so, you know, um, I've seen examples of like somebody flying from like um, continental Europe to like Africa. If they were heading like just straight south, mm-hmm. no jet lag. Even if you're on a 12 hour flight, no jet lag. Well, see, now that makes sense because uh-huh. the sun travels east to west across mm-hmm. the globe. So you would have that feeling of like, ugh, it's four in the morning where I'm right. from kind of thing. Yeah. Um, because the sun is out or not, depending. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, if you um, have an employee in New York and they flew to Florida and they're like, I can't come in tomorrow because I have jet lag. Mm-mm. Like, they're lying to you. Mm-hmm. They are just hungover. Exactly. From <laughs> going out partying in Miami, which is a great party town. So, so we I hear. Because <laughs> Lord knows I've never partied in Miami. Come on. Oh, Look at man. me. I go to bed at 9 p.m. Well, that's great. It is dark out then. It is dark out then. Yeah. Now, now it's yeah, dark out then. Now it is. Speaking of, it is daylight. You know, we talked about daylight saving yeah. time. Not daylight savings time with an S at the end. It's daylight saving time. Mm. So it's the practice of advancing clocks during the summer months so that evening daylight lasts longer while sacrificing normal sunrise times. So typically regions that use daylight saving time adjust clocks forward one hour close to the start of spring and adjust them backward in the autumn to standard time. So modern daylight saving time or dst was first proposed by the new new zealand entomologist george hudson whose shift work gave him leisure time to collect insects and led him to value after hours daylight oh that's sweet it's like oh Oh, so he can collect some bugs um so starting on april 30th 1916 the german empire and its world war one ally austria hungary were the first to use dst as a way to conserve coal during wartime oh and britain most of its allies and many european neutrals soon followed suit Russia and a few other countries waited until the next year and the U.S. adopted it in 1918. So it was really originally like to conserve coal during yeah. wartime. Mm-hmm. Uh, proponents of DST generally argue that it saves energy, promotes outdoor leisure activity in the evening, in the summertime, and is therefore good for physical and psychological health. It um, also reduces traffic accidents, reduces crime, and is good for business. Um, groups that tend to support DST are urban workers, retail businesses, outdoor mm-hmm. sports enthusiasts and businesses, tourism operators, and others who benefit from increased light during the evening and summer. Opponents argue that actual energy savings are inconclusive, that DST increases health risks such as heart attacks that DST can disrupt morning activities and that the change the act of changing clocks twice a year is economically and socially disruptive and cancels out any benefit and actually farmers have tended to oppose daylight saving time oh, so that's like the about thing that. that we hear about the most is like yeah. oh yeah we have this so the farmers have more time at their fields mm-hmm. like they don't they don't, they don't like care. it they, they don't, don't like it, it. 
1942 to 1945, Americans experienced wartime. So um, oh. the clocks were set to wartime. Um, it didn't involve any forays in an into entirely new time zones. Instead, we simply went on permanent daylight saving time. Oh. So um, that was, you know, so that the country could conserve resources and, mm-hmm. you know, be on things. Um, and it's funny because actually the class I was teaching this this term, we were looking at a letter that um, was a speech that Harrius Truman gave in Buffalo. Oh. And it said the broadcasting information, it said, you know, the date, and then it said like 7 o'clock, um, war like EWT, and we were like, "What's EWT?" And it huh. turned out it was Eastern Wartime. Oh and my then gosh! We, you know, looked up this info, and it was yeah, kind of interesting. I didn't know that. Like, so America during World War II was on basically like permanent daylight saving time. So, just so my cl- for my clarification, mm-hmm. daylight saving is when is like what we normally have in the winter, or is it during the no? Summer? It's the, during the summer. Okay. Yeah. So, so we are now. We are in out November. Of, we are in standard time. We are now. in standard time. Yes. So the proposal is that we would get rid of daylight saving time, and yeah, we would and stick just always be in standard on time. standard time. Well, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that because okay. then we don't. Then we can't be like, oh, look at this. It's eight thirty, and the mm-hmm. sun is still up. You know, you say that all the time in the summer. Yeah, that's true. It's nice. It wouldn't it's nice be that much different. I don't think. No, it really wouldn't. We'd get used to it like <laughs> within a month. It wouldn't even, no Remember one would notice. Remember when we used to have to change the clocks back a lot? At two How in the weird. morning? Like, How gra- weird. Grandma, tell me about daylight savings time. <laughs> if oh, only. Man. Yeah, so after, um, yeah, so during World War II, we were on permanent daylight saving time. Uh, from 1945 until 1966, there was no federal law on daylight saving time, so localities could choose when it began or ended or drop it entirely. Oh. But by 1962, the transportation industry found the lack of consistency confusing enough to push for federal regulation. Mm. So the lack of standardization led to a patchwork where some areas in the country observed DST while adjacent areas did not. And it was not unheard of to have to reset a clock several times during a short trip. Ugh. The one example I saw over and over is that bus drivers often operating on West Virginia Route 2 between Moundsville, West Virginia and Steubenville, Ohio, had to reset their watches seven times over a trip of 35 miles. Oh my gosh. Like seven <laughs> times? That's yeah. insane. That's too much. Yeah. That's too many times. Too too much. We need, we need another convention. Yeah, we need so, a time con. The result was the Uniform Time Act of 1966. Good. Beginning in 1967, the act mandated standard time within the established time zones and provided for advanced time. So clocks would be advanced one hour beginning at 2 a.m. on the last Sunday in April and turn back one hour at 2 a.m. on the last Sunday in October. And states were allowed to exempt themselves from DST as long as the entire state did so. So if a state chose to observe DST, the time changes were required to begin and end on the established dates. So most areas of the U.S. observe daylight savings time, with the exceptions being Arizona, except for the Navajo, who do observe daylight saving time on tribal lands. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so Arizona doesn't follow DST. Mm. Hawaii doesn't follow DST. And overseas territories of American Samoa, Guam, Northern Mariana Islands, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands do not do this. Okay. Um, and it was even within like the last decade that the legislation changed again to push um, daylight saving t- when daylight saving time began and ended oh, again. Really? So like, if you remember this year, it was actually in like the beginning of March. Oh, and right. then this year it ended like the first week in November. Mm-hmm. So it's actually the candy lobby that was pushing the, um, to change. Yes. Sorry. The candy lobby. The candy. Yes, the candy lobby was pushing to have it 
extended to um, the first week in November so that it wouldn't affect Halloween time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The candy the lobby. Can- big candy. Big is big why sucker. big lollipop is why you fell back uh, an hour later in the that last decade is, or so. Yeah. I'm blown away by this. Yeah. So now our concept of time, the way we perceive yeah. people being thrown into the throes <laughs> of seasonal affective disorder is all because of big lollipop. Big, big candy. Man. <laughs> Damn. So, uh, Moving along. No, please. And people in Rochester will know exactly what I'm talking about now. But this is going to blow some people's minds. The International Fixed Calendar. Okay. Also known as the Cotsworth Plan, the Eastman Plan, the 13-month calendar, or the Equal Month Calendar. What? Why is your face so quizzical? Yeah, I'm very quizzical. Have you not been to the George Eastman Museum? I I have, but... I don't remember so, this. The International Fixed Calendar, also known as the 13-month calendar. Okay. It's a solar calendar proposal for calendar reform designed by Moses B. Cotworth, who presented it in 1902. It divides the solar year into 13 months of 28 days each. It is okay. therefore a perennial calendar with every date fixed to the same weekday every year. What? Oh, my God. I have never heard ah! this before in my okay. whole life. So an extra day is added as a holiday at the end of the year after December 28th. So this kind of becomes like... December 31st, technically, at that point. Okay. It's sometimes called year day. It doesn't belong to any week and brings the total to 365 days. So you have 13 months that are 28 days long each. And okay. then there's like year day at the end and of the like, year. And there's like, Yeah. So each year coincides with the corresponding Gregorian calendar. So January 1st in the Cotsworth calendar also, also always falls on January 1st in the Gregorian calendar, which okay. is what we use now. Um, 12 months are named and ordered as the same as those of the Gregorian calendar, except that the extra month because we have 13 months now. I'm dying to know. Is inserted between June and July. It is called Sol, S-O-L, for sun. For the sun. Because that's the sun's name. I learned this. Steve told me. The sun, I was like, he was like, Sol, that's the sun's name. And I laughed and laughed. I thought he was joking. Like, like it's an old man's (laughs) name, like Uncle Sol. You know, like you're a Jewish uncle, Uncle Sol. (laughs) And then I was like, oh yeah, well then what's the moon's name? He was like, Luna. And I was like, oh damn, you're right. Luna and Sol. That's their names. Well, Sol would be the extra month that was inserted between what we know as June and July. June and July yeah. um, so it's situated in midsummer from the point of view of its Northern Hemisphere authors and included the mid-year solstice. The name of the new month was chosen in homage to the sun. Though it was never officially adopted in any country, entrepreneur George Eastman adopted it for use in the Eastman Kodak Company where it was used from 1928 to 1989. Are you so serious? For 60 years the Kodak company used this 13-month calendar. So I was born Wednesday, September 12th. Sure. So my birthday would always be on a Wednesday, according to this international calendar. I'm So it was just like, that's... And so it's supposed to make business so much easier because oh, yeah. you're like, oh yeah, November 5th. That's, that's a, always a uh, Thursday or yeah, whatever. exactly. So it was like, they... I mean, it was efficient enough and useful enough in especially in, at the Kodak company for 60 years that um you know they kept using it and it made sense and people that people that worked at Kodak said like yeah it took a couple weeks to get used to but like they figured am- it out so you always knew what your payday was you always knew when oh the holiday gosh. was you always knew like okay well this will fall on a Friday this yeah. year you're like when's Christmas Christmas is Christmas a Sunday and then you're like boop-a-da-boop-a-da-boop. no it's on the Tuesday this year yeah oh my gosh I am blown away. I am blown okay, away. I've so never heard of this before in my life. at the George Eastman Museum in the historical house part, in okay. one of the bedrooms on the second floor, they have a whole section about this calendar. I have been to that museum 
A dozen times <laughs> in my lifetime. In, in the past like five years I've lived here. Wow. How have I not seen this? Have I just walked past it? I'm a bad museum worker. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm a bad museum worker. I'm not very good oh. at reading wall text. That's the problem. Okay. Like, I'm just like, okay, I get the gist and then I move on, which yeah. is terrible because I would have learned about this. I am blown away. <sighs> we should do that. That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> but then all of the um, uh, astrological signs will be screwed up. Well, that's why they had that 13th one that they wrote in. Salt. Fuchsius. Whatever. The oh, yeah, 13th. yeah, yeah. The so new, they the had it kind of like figured out. I figured it out. It turns out I'm still a cancer. Oh, so. okay. Still well, incorrect. Great. Big moon face. Love to eat. I mean, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't describe me at all. No. Ooh, whatever, whatever. Homebody? <laughs> no. Please. I love to party. Anyway. In, in Miami. So the International <laughs> Fixed Calendar. So again, you'll hear it as like the Eastman plan or the Cotsworth plan or the 13-month calendar. Damn. I had no idea. But it makes sense, Oh, it man. makes good sense. Yeah. Uh, we're going to the next time con and we are, we're like, Hey, how about we bring, we're going to bring a petition. Calendar. Yes. We're going to time con. We're going to perform then look about it. And then the cat, oh, no, maybe it would affect the calendar industry, the novelty calendar industry. Oh, the novelty calendar. Yeah. Industry? Yeah. Because then you could just recycle the same one yeah, over and over true. again. Maybe big calendar is what's behind. That's us. it. Big They're date. Silencing. <laughs> They're silencing the 13 month one. That's it. You know what? We're going to do a documentary. We're going to go to TimeCon. It's going to be a whole thing. Oh, man. And I mean, we live in Rochester, so we can talk to plenty of people who worked at Kodak and operated yeah. under this under this calendar we have for a couple of, 60 years. Yeah. We yeah. have a couple of uh, retired engineers who work uh, at the museum that I could talk to. Be like, I'm sure they would me. love, they would oh, love my gosh. to tell you. Oh, yeah. man. I'm going to talk to Ed, and he is going <laughs> to tell me all about it. All right. I'm excited. I have just a couple more things to go over. Please. So, leap year. It is also known as an intercalary year or a bisextile year. Mm. Those are those are terms that it comes up as, especially on Jeopardy. Um, so a leap year is a calendar year containing one additional day or in the case of loony solar calendars, a whole month. But we're not getting into that. Yeah. Um, so this is when a whole day is added to keep the calendar year synchronized with the astronomical or seasonal year. So because seasons and astronomical events do not repeat in a whole number of days, calendars that have the same number of days in each year drift over time with sure. respect to the event that that year is supposed to track. So by inserting, also called intercalating, an additional day or month into the year, the drift can be corrected. So a year that is not a leap year is called a common year. Mm. In the Gregorian calendar, which is what we use, um, each leap year has 366 days instead of the usual 365 by extending February to 29 days rather sure. than the common 28. So these extra days occur in years that are multiples of four with the exceptions of years divisible by 100, but not 400. What? So I, it sounds like a very like crazy yeah, complicated. equation, but it's not. So um, years that are multiples of four with the exception of years divisible by 100, but not 400. So for example, the years 1700, 1800, and 1900 were not leap years. Okay. So they were divisible by 100, but not by 400. Okay, I can but see that. the years 1600 and 2000 were leap years. Sure, okay. So over a period of four centuries, the accumulated error of adding a leap day every four years amounts to about three extra days. The Gregorian calendar therefore removes three leap days every 400 years, which is the length of its leap cycle. So this is done by removing February 29th in the three century years, multiples of 100 that cannot be divided by 400. God, that's so complicated. <sighs> yeah. So, so, I mean, it, it didn't really affect us because 2000 was a leap year, but 2100 yeah. will not be. 
Okay. All right. So that's that's how that goes. Yeah. So the Cotswold calendar, does that have a leap year or no? Um, they might add like an extra day onto the end. Okay. Because that's so just the, easy for them. Yeah, of boop. course. You just boop, Now we done. got leap day, you know, year yeah. day, whatever. Okay. That's interesting. So a person born on February 29th might be called a leapling or a oh. leaper. Oh, that's I cute. Like leapling. Okay. I like this little fact. La Bougie du Sapeur is a humorous French newspaper launched in 1980 that prints only on leap day, oh. making it the world's least frequently published newspaper. Oh. Uh, so La Bougie du Sapeur is the soldier's candle. Um, so the paper's 10th edition was released on February 2016, and about uh, between 150,000 and 200,000 copies of each edition are printed. It sells for about €4.70 Euro 70, um, from newsstands for one month, but subscriptions are available just €100 Euros per century. That's not bad at all. That's not bad at that's all. Really you get a bad. whole century worth of newspapers yeah, for a hundred euro. You could pass that. You could put that in your will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was super funny. Okay, last thing: a leap second, because we recently experienced the leap second. Did we, we really? Remember. I didn't even know. Yeah. Um, so a leap second is a one-second adjustment that is occasionally applied to coordinated universal time (UTC) in order to keep its time of day close to the mean solar time also called UT1. Without such a correction, time reckoned by Earth's rotation drifts away from atomic time because of irregularities in the Earth's rate of rotation. So since the system of correction was implemented in 1972, 27 leap seconds have been inserted, the most recently on December 31st, 2016. I think I heard this. At 23 colon 59 colon 60 UTC. Because the Earth's rotation speed varies in response to climatic and geological events, UTC leap seconds are irregularly spaced and unpredictable. So insertion of each UTC leap second is usually decided about six months in advance by the International Earth Rotation and Reference Services System, IERS, when needed to ensure that the difference between the UTC and UT1 readings will never exceed 0.9 seconds. So, wow. we don't know. We don't, we don't know, know when the next one's going to happen. Do not but know. I thought it was fascinating that the Earth's rotation speed varies. Yeah. What is that about? <sighs> well, I know, well, you know, we're not we're not completely spherical. Yeah, and yeah, and we're it's kind of not, flat. It's not in com- certain. It's not a complete sphere. Sphere. Yeah. yeah. It's like flat at the top and bottom. So well, we're a little bulgy in the middle. Little, yeah, there's a bulge. I mean, who isn't? Who isn't bulgy in the middle? Let's be honest. The Earth's metabolism over the years has just settled into a place that is comfortable. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with it. Okay? That's just the way it goes. Some some people are naturally thin. Sometimes that happens. Okay? Some mountains are diamond shaped. Some Earths have a little bulge in the middle. It's okay. And you know what? They're all worthy of love. Sorry. (laughs) So that's, uh, that's about time. That's great. That was about all the time. That was wonderful. I learned so much and I'm I am so glad. super blown away by the Eastman House thing. I need to talk uh, to some some Kodak people yeah, now. Yeah, we'll find a good article about it and tweet that out too for people that are more interested. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, right. Jewel. Time for my quiz. Yes. <laughs> this quiz is called TV Timeout. It is a quiz on interrupted televised sporting events and the cast of Saved by the Bell. <laughs> Question one. Which two teams were playing during Super Bowl 47 when a power outage at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans caused a 34-minute-long blackout delay in the third quarter? Question two. 
Tiffany Thiessen, she dropped the amber in 2000, appeared as the wife of an FBI agent on what witty caper series starring Matt Bomer as con man come criminal informant? Question three. Former NHL goaltender Clint Malarchuk played for the Quebec Nordiques, Washington Capitals, and Buffalo Sabres. He is probably best known for surviving what horrific on-ice injury during a March 22, 1989 game between Malarchuk's Buffalo Sabres and the St. Louis Blues. Question four. Mark Paul Gossler most recently appeared on your television screen as a grizzled veteran pitcher who takes the MLB's first female player under his wing on the Fox series pitch. For what real-life MLB team did they play on the show? Question 5. Speaking of baseball, back in 1911, the two teams playing in the World Series experienced a six-day long delay between games three and four due to torrential rains. For more than seven decades, that held as the record for the longest delay between World Series games. But in 1989, the same two teams, albeit each both in new locations, became the unlucky participants in the now longest delay between games of the World Series due to a major earthquake. Name either of these two teams. Question six. From July until September 2017, Mario Lopez hosted what live action television game show based, strangely enough, on a super sweet Facebook app that your aunt probably invited you to play a few years ago? Question seven. Hey, remember March Madness 2013 when people just kept sharing that really gruesome on-court injury during an Elite Eight game? A player for the University of Louisville snapped his tibia while trying to block a three-point shot attempt by Duke. What was the name of this player who most certainly needed to sport a cast following the two-hour surgery he received after being wheeled off of the court? Question eight. In 1997, actress Elizabeth Berkley donned a $600 form-fitting gown made entirely of collard greens for the Let Us Be Lean campaign, sponsored by what animal rights activism group? Question 9. On July 12, 1979, the Chicago White Sox held an ill-fated promotional theme night to boost ticket sales. An estimated 90,000 fans showed up at the 52,000 capacity Comiskey Park. After the first game of a doubleheader with the Detroit Tigers, a crate containing what was blown up in center field, causing a small fire followed by a destructive fan storming the mound. In question 10, following some recent uh, legal troubles, D-list celebrity Dustin Diamond appeared as himself on a 2017 episode of what live-action adult swim comedy about an associate demon attempting to capture souls on Earth in order to climb the corporate ladder of the underworld. And I'll give you about a minute to think, and we'll be back with your answers. All right, time for the answers. Oh, man, Jewel. Is this your religion? 
This, this is, is my religion. This is your quiz religion. Right now. <laughs> right. Oh boy. So TV timeout is a quiz on interrupted televised sporting events and the cast of Saved by the Bell. Sure, of course. Question one. Which two teams were playing during Super Bowl 47 when a power outage at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans caused a 34-minute-long blackout delay in the third quarter? I was watching it. Mm -hmm. I was in Key West at the time with Mm -hmm. my parents, and I cannot remember. Okay. It was the Baltimore Ravens and the San Francisco 49ers. Okay. So this was February 3rd, 2013. Baltimore went on to win 34-31. to Those buttheads. Uh, the game also <laughs> featured two brothers coaching against each other for the first time. So this was Jim and John Harbaugh, who mm-hmm. were the head coaches of the San Francisco 49ers and the Baltimore Ravens, respectively, which earned it the nickname the Harbaugh Bowl or the Harbaugh. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. All right. All right. Question two. Tiffany Thiessen, she dropped the amber in 2000, appeared as the wife of an FBI agent on what witty caper series starring Matt Bomer as con man come criminal informant. All right. First of all, more like Matt Boner. Am I right? I knew you were going to Love him. Yep. And I cannot remember. It's not Suits. No. It's, um, it's two words. It's, it's two The first words. one is a color. Oh, God. Gray, blue, black, white. White. <laughs> white collar. Yes. White collar. White collar. Thank you. Bet- uh, the series ran from 2009 to 2014, and it has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes As because it, it is delightful. Because Matt Boner... Is a is a gem, and everyone also he a was treasure. He's a treasure, and he was also in Magic Mike XXL, XXL, and he has a beautiful singing voice, and everyone should watch Magic Mike XXL. Just saying. <laughs> Quick plug. Yes, <laughs> agreed. Uh, question three: Former NHL goaltender Clint Malarchuk is probably best known for surviving what horrific on ice injury during a March twenty second, nineteen eighty nine game between the Buffalo Sabers and the St. Louis Blues? Was this the guy that got? Um, like his neck sliced yep. by a uh, by a, a blade. Yes, by the... he took a skate blade to the throat. <sighs> it severed his carotid artery. <sighs> Malachick's life was saved due to the quick action by the team's athletic trainer, Jim. Oh my God. Pizzutelli, a former army combat engineer who served in Vietnam. Damn. He gripped Malarchuk's neck and pinched off the blood vessel and did not let go until doctors arrived to stabilize the wound. What the what? So the team doctor led the pair off the ice, then applied extreme pressure by kneeling on Malarchuk's yeah. collarbone, which is a procedure designed to produce a low breathing rate and a low metabolic state. Holy and sh- local television cameras covering the game cut away from the sight of Malarchuk bleeding after noticing what happened. And the Sabres announcers, Ted Darling and Mike Robitaille, were audibly shaken. Many spectators were physically sickened by the sight and the excessive amount of blood caused 11 fans to faint two oh more to suffer god. heart attacks and three players to vomit on the ice oh my god Malarchuk lost one and a half liters of blood oh my god Ugh. it took doctors a total of 300 stitches oh. to close the six inch wound oh my and god. he was back on the ice in 10 days shut up hockey players are the best oh my god they're the best Roby now I can I tell you something about Mike Robitaille yes Roby as he's known in uh-huh. Buffalo he is also a uh, realtor. Mm. He is a beautiful dresser. Oh. And also, from what I hear, a kind and lovely man with Aww. a beautiful personality. So, Mike Roby, if you're listening, I'm a big fan. I thought you were going to like spill some tea. And you no, were like, no. no, this man is, he is, he is lovely. He's oh, lovely. But damn, what a terrible injury. Yeah. Could you imagine? If Did I, your dad watch it? Did your dad see oh, it? Oh, I don't know. I should ask him. Dad, text me if you if you've seen it. Like, I'm not gonna talk to you until you no. until this episode airs. But please, I remember him telling me about yeah. it. Yeah, I was not watching the game at the time, but yeah. he told me about it because I you think were like I remember. three. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, well, I may have been watching it. I mean, he watched a lot of Sabres <laughs> games. I wasn't paying attention, but yeah. I I still to this day find 
um, the sound of like the blades on the yeah. ice. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very comforting. Oh, I love it. It's my favorite. Yeah, it's, it's great. My favorite sport. Uh, question four. Mark Paul Gossler most recently appeared on your television screen as a grizzled veteran pitcher who takes MLB's first female player under his wing on the Fox series pitch. For what real life MLB team did they play on the show? Was it the Angels? It's the San Diego Padres. Oh, damn. So the series followed Jenny Baker, who is the first woman in any professional sports league in the U.S., but it was canceled after one season. I remember you telling me it was it very was good. good. Yeah. 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 I mean, unfortunately, they kind of tried to give her like a romance line and all this stuff. Ugh. And I was like, why can't it just be how good she is at sports yeah like but. she's a pitcher that's like one of the best positions and the most like i guess like storily rich yes yeah yeah and oh, eh, whatever what are you gonna do uh, question five speaking of baseball so back in 1911 the two teams playing in the world series had a six day long delay between games three and four due to torrential rains in 1989 the same two teams albeit each both in new locations were experienced the next longest delay in the between games in the World Series due to a major earthquake. Name either of these teams. I don't know. I imagine one of them is a California team. Sure. But, Throw one at me. Um, oh, God. Oh, man. The the Giants? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. San Francisco Giants. So this was the Giants and the Athletics. So in 1911, these Giants were in New York. They were the New York Baseball Giants as opposed to the New York Football yes. Giants. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they were in San Francisco by 1989. And then the Athletics were in Philadelphia in yes. 1911. And then they were in Oakland by 1989. Um, so at the time the 1989 earthquake hit, ABC's crew was actually in the booth as Tim Carver was presenting a highlight package. And the earthquake hit while the video was playing and temporarily knocked the feet out. Just before it was knocked out, Al Michaels could be heard on air saying, I'll tell you what, we're having an earth with the feet cutting out just before you finish. <laughs> an earth what? An earth what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, question six from July until September 2017 Mario Lopez hosted what live action television game show based strangely enough on a super sweet Facebook app that your aunt probably invited you to play a few years ago <sighs> it's Candy Crush it is Candy Crush uh, so uh, while reviewing this show The Verge called it quote an unmitigated train wreck that's banking <laughs> on the lasting popularity of its lead-in Big Brother to drive Sunday night viewership and can we be honest Mario Lopez will host anything you put in front of it i thought about just doing a quiz on things that mario lopez has hosted (laughs) it's crazy he's a such a host whore (laughs) it's true he really is true uh the comparisons of candy crush were drawn uh comparisons were drawn to the phenomenon of esports and video game Mm, streaming mm -hmm. critics argue that the enjoyment of candy crush stemmed from the actual experience of playing it and beyond the physical challenges there was nothing interesting about watching the actual game being played no no why would you find that interesting that's super boring and they must have spent did have you i've only seen the previews (laughs) for it like the the ads they haven't revealed if it's been uh renewed for next year surprisingly but the the amount of money that they poured into just the set is insane oh i bet yeah oh my god it's just so stupid (sighs) oh god oh man anyway question seven Hey, remember March Madness 2013 when people just kept sharing that gruesome on-court injury? Uh, What was the name of this player who most certainly needed to sport a cast following a two-hour surgery he received after being wheeled off the court? I don't know, but... uh that was terrible. Yes. I had to I had to not be on Facebook for like a good month and yeah, a half. Yeah, because people were sharing it. I don't understand why. Here's the thing. I love gruesome things. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But that when you watch a man's leg <gasps> just <laughs> shatter, oh, snap oh. like a twig. Ugh. His name was Kevin Ware. 
Kevin Ware. Kevin Poor Ware. Kevin Ware. Is he okay now? Um, he, he, yeah, he came back for the next season oh, and good. then he transferred and played in another, uh, another school. Um, and he actually now plays for the Pharos Larissas of the Greek Basketball League. Good. Good for yeah. him. You know what? I hear it's very lucrative for kids who did not get right like recruited into mm-hmm. the NBA to go to play, play overseas. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Question eight. In 1997, actress Elizabeth Berkley donned a $600 form-fitting gown made entirely of collard greens for the Let Us Be Lean campaign sponsored by what animal rights activism group? That's PETA. It is PETA. Ugh. Oh, and FYI, PETA holds an annual contest to select the sexiest vegetarian of the year. Uh, the most recent winners for 2016 are Liam Hemsworth and singer Janae Aiko. Um, all right. Well, I'd be all over Liam Hensworth. Am sure. I right? The Hemsworth clan is a handsome they clan. Have, they bred well. Oof, damn. But um, I will say, PETA, I I don't really respect as an institute as a as a nonprofit. Here's why: because they're very um, unprofessional. Yes. When they make when they when they put out um, like announcements or statements or things like that, it's very like teen girl nasty mm-hmm. and it's like if you want to be respected as a very large nonprofit yeah. institution who's pr- trying to promote like the the safety of animals mm-hmm. and the positivity of vegetarianism right you think that they would not be as snide and snarky right. and nasty as they are. Weren't they also the people that throw paint yeah, they on throw people's paint fur? On people fur yeah. and that, like, I am certainly not somebody who thinks that fur is a good idea. Yeah. Vintage fur, sure. I'm sure it's very warm. But like, there's no need. We have plenty of technology now mm-hmm. where we do not need to wear fur to keep warm. Right. I'm not a Neanderthal. Yeah. Like, I can wear <laughs> Gore-Tex. It's fine. <laughs> Question nine. On July 12th, 1979, the Chicago White Sox held an ill-fated promotional theme night to boost ticket sales. An estimated 90,000 fans showed up at the 52,000 capacity Comiskey Park. After the first game of a doubleheader with the Detroit Tigers, a crate containing what was blown up in center field, causing a small fire followed by destructive fans storming the mound. Okay, what year was this? 1979. Okay, was it disco albums? It was disco albums. Yes. So the promotion was called Disco Demolition Night. Yes. Anyone bringing a disco album to the game, which was a nighttime doubleheader between the White Sox and Detroit Tigers, would be admitted for just 98 cents. Between the two games, radio personality Steve Dahl, then the morning man for Chicago rock music station, would blow up those disco albums with fireworks. So as Dahl finished, thousands of fans stormed onto the field, tearing up clumps of sod, burning signs, knocking over the batting cage, and flinging the excess records like Frisbees. Police arrested 37 people. Yeah. And the second game was canceled and later awarded to the Tigers by forfeit. Damn. Yeah, this is, I've seen uh, footage of this mm-hmm. in like those, you know, those documentary yeah. TV shows of like, I love the Can 70s you or whatever. They did that? Yeah. Yeah. And people were like chanting disco sucks and like completely lost it. Yeah. yeah. They had 90,000 people there at a 52,000 capacity park. It was crazy. Damn. They really hated people disco. Really hated they disco. really hated disco. I will tell you, my father still hates disco. I, and now yeah, when, okay. whenever he hears like a dance song uh-huh. that's very of now, like yeah. a Sia song or whatever, he'd mm-hmm. be like, this is disco. Like, this isn't disco, dad. <laughs> no, it's disco. Listen, it's disco. Disco's garbage. This is stupid. It, and then does he point his finger up in the air? Yeah, like, he does a like the Saturday Night Live thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, last question. Question 10. Following some recent uh, legal troubles, uh, D-list celebrity Dustin Diamond appeared as himself on a 2017 episode of what live action adult swim comedy about an associate demon attempting to capture souls on Earth in order to climb the corporate ladder of the underworld? I'm... 
I don't know. Yeah. I don't watch. The show is called Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. Are you serious? That's not a show. Is that a show? Yeah. It's been on the air since 2013. What? Um, And in the 27 episodes. 2017 episode snow job dustin diamond is dead and satan declares that his torture will be starring in a cheesy sitcom for all eternity <laughs> i hear dustin diamond is like he is not okay no he needs to no, he's super d-list yeah. super d-list yeah he is mm, that's too bad yeah i've so, never heard of that show. well why would yeah. i hear that show yeah what am i doing i'm not watching adult adult, adult swim, swim. people will know i'm not an 18 year old boy what am i what am i doing <laughs> You're in bed. I am in bed by then. <laughs> Jeez. Oh man. All right. Well, that was my uh that was a good quiz. That was great, <laughs> Joel. That was great. I really enjoyed that. I hope you guys all learned a lot. Um as always, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever podcast app you prefer with our RSS feed. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We totally appreciate yes, you guys giving you. us some feedback because we're not perfect. Oh yeah. I'm not perfect. <laughs> Joel might be, I don't know. Probably not though, because no one is. Um, you can also get a hold of us. We wow. are at <laughs> at misinfopod on Twitter. Please slide into our DMs if you prefer. Um, we are at misinfopod at gmail dot com if you want to email us, and we have a website misinfopod dub triple w dot misinfopod dot com. And also, we're on Facebook. Tell your aunt. Yeah. And when we're all done with this, Lauren will explain to me what slide into your DMs really means. <laughs> all right. So thanks for listening. Thank you. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.